joining us welcome to our first installation of <laughs> getting cheeky with god with making menches which is myself and jesse and fucking the fine print which is mad and kayla yeah i think let's just jump right in and we can just like, introduce our respective organizations for the other organizations audience and then ourselves and what we're going to talk about in our sessions good Jesse, do you want to introduce Making Menches? Sure, very quickly. Making Menches is our anti-oppressive Jewish organization where we confront issues within the Jewish community, such as racism, homophobia, transphobia, Zionism, everything that really impacts us as Jews. And we've been fortunate enough to host workshops, and we're also hosting our Not Your Rubbies Torah School series. So go back and watch any of our videos on a bunch of really interesting Jewish topics. Thanks, Jesse. Matt or Kaylin, want to take us away? Or do you want to go mad? Yeah. So we are fucking the fine print. We essentially have radical pleasure based conversations about sex. Yeah, I think that it kind of came from a place of not seeing ourselves in like other sex positive spaces so we like to like really put a precedent on discussing like performative sex and like non goal non goal oriented sex as the starting place for sexual interaction so yeah yay so we all know each other outside of our organizations but found like a lot of overlap between our shared interests and got really excited about talking about like sex and the body and like how that intersects with Judaism and spirituality as a whole and that is how we came to Getting Cheeky with God as a series and so today we're going to talk about sex, pleasure, and Judaism really broadly. Our next session is going to be about menstruation and the mikvah. Our third session is going to be on abortion and Judaism and our final session will be on circumcision. So that's the rest of the series to look forward to. We're really excited if you're watching this now or in the future, or if you want to join us for another session that interests you. Does anyone else have any other introductory contributions? Should we introduce ourselves, like names, pronouns, vibe? Yeah. You want to take um, us off, Kaylin? Or Matt? Sure. I am Kaylin. I use she and they pronoun, and I am based in Brooklyn yeah is there anything else what's your sign oh I am a Virgo sun cancer moon Scorpio rising nice she her pronouns I am a Leo and I'm based in Washington DC I'm Jesse I'm based in Brooklyn she her pronouns and I'm a Pisces sun Pisces moon Gemini rising my name is Ilana. I use she and they pronouns. I live in East Harlem and I am a Taurus sun, Virgo moon, Leo rising for some spice. So yeah, let's just jump in. I think Madison is going to lead us in a really fun activity if you want to join along in the activity or just watch us engage. So the activity we're going to be doing today is an activity that I actually got from Afrosexology. They have a solo workbook that is really 
phenomenal. So it, the activity is essentially to list the top five things in your life that bring you pleasure, um, laughing, spending time, dancing with friends, watching cartoons, masturbating, and then also right next to it, you did it. Does that want to go or are we Zygo for first? Yeah, I yeah. think you should lead by demonstration. Yeah, so my first thing that I did most recently was sex on 4-9. And then the second thing is being parties. That was 4-8, so last Friday. And reading a comic 4-8, foreign films, that was maybe a month ago. Then making original tea blends was also like a month Nice. Jesse, do you wanna <laughs> go next? I'm gonna be like Alana. So <laughs> I like to go on long walks. That was on the 11th. But going to the movies, that was on the 1st. Seeing my niece and spending time with my niece, that was the 27th of March. Going on dates with my partner, that was on the 1st. And sleeping in, which was today. Yes. So, yeah, those are my five. Okay. Um, okay, so I biked, and that was today. I had really good, like, snack of yogurt and, like, blueberries and maple syrup. Delicious, which is now my new favorite, and that was yesterday. I walked to get coffee. That was on last Friday. And I r finished a book, and that was last Wednesday. Ooh. What book did you finish? I have just finished, I literally just forgot the name, Brain Fog. Bless. <laughs> but yeah, I'll remember it and I'll probably end up texting it later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kaylin, wait, I just finished A Girl is a Body of Water. But, <gasps> sorry, you read it like a year ago. I know, but anyway, okay, we sorry. We can discuss it later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We love book recommendations. I'm not positive that I did this right. And I, this is definitely not the top five things in my life, but it's five things that bring me pleasure, period. So the first is kind of corny, but it makes me really happy to wake up next to my partner in the morning and like just lift it to her. And I got to do that this morning, so that was really nice. And I love like going into a physical bookstore and like buying a book I don't know it just makes me really happy and I did that last Monday on the fourth being like in really big groups of all of my loved ones just like having fun and laughing together and I got to do that last weekend on the second eating pickles and olives at the same time and I did get to do that right before we came on this live so entering the live with lots of joy and traveling to new places or different cities and I got to do that this past weekend like the night the 11th I was in Chicago mad so, really yeah it was really fun I hadn't been since I was like 10 years old so it was cool to go as an adult I just remembered the book <laughs> <laughs> it was stone butch blues oh which can I borrow that do you have a copy I I sent you the free pdf link but I can resend it I'll resend I it do, I do have that I won't be reading it online but I appreciate that no. So I think to like 
the most important thing or what I thought was interesting about mine was like things that were on my list that I haven't even done like since a month and that's pretty crazy to me like I don't even like necessarily force myself or commit to engaging in things that bring me pleasure regularly especially if they're things that I feel like take a lot of work but then have a lot of like emotional after and stuff like that and I also think the point of the is kind of just to recognize all of the things that bring you pleasure outside of sex or anything like that. Pleasure is really expansive, it's very holistic, and it's really easy to get those things from all parts of our life. I also think the homework is to commit one of these things every week for the next month. Which one are y'all gonna do every week for the next month? I'm going to try and bike. Okay. Nice. I have the balcony bike and I have a real bike. So I'll try that. <laughs> mm, I think mine is going to be to watch a porn. But not in a really long time. But nice. yeah. You love doing that? I think I'm going to commit to dates with my partner regularly. I think it's harder when you live together because you just get used to like hanging out. But be intentional with it. I love that. That's really funny, Jesse, because I was just talking about that with Carly and we like we're on a date and we were like, like even though we spend so much time together, it's like different to have intentional time set aside. But it's yeah. like just you both like interacting with mm -hmm. each other and like having conversations like outside of like your house or like your normal haunts yeah. or whatever. So we were also talking about doing that more consistently. But out of the list that I gave, I think that, <laughs> um. I will commit to eating pickles and olives once a week for the next month. And I think that that's attainable. <laughs> so everyone who's watching also do this activity, write a list of your five favorite, like the top five things in your life that bring you pleasure and the date that you did them last. And then your homework is to try to do one of those things every week for the next month, just to bring some more pleasure into your life. Thanks for that activity, Mad. Of course, I'm glad I could share it. Yeah, thanks to Afrosexology, the, the workbook for that. I'm going to plug them again, this conversation. Incredible. Yes, pickles and olives. You love to so see good. it. But Tom pickles it. are the number one. I, do I don't actually. I, I'm definitely in the mind. I don't like pickles. I just, I don't yeah, even think. It's really upsetting it's like to me. Blasphemous. <laughs> It's fine, I guess. All right. Do so you want to read our definition of pleasure? I can. We wanted to ground ourselves in a shared definition of pleasure for the space because I think, you know, something that we were all talking about is the fact that pleasure can be very broad. And so often when we talk about sex, we're not talking about pleasure. So we just sort of wanted to share, like, how we are defining pleasure for this space. Yeah. So I just went on, like, a... a sort of dictionary.com type of situation, but you guys can let me know if you agree with it. So pleasure is defined as a feeling of happy satisfaction or enjoyment. And I think that's interesting too, because like when I think pleasure, I think like sex kind of like I have a lot of, I don't know, taboo notions about it, but like the definition couldn't be more straightforward. And I think this is what it is. Yeah. I saw something recently I, I, that was like, think of sex like pizza, which was very, very interesting, where it's like, 
you can have it any different way. There's all these different preferences or different ways to do it or think about it. And it's not really, oh, it's a success or a failure. It just was it satisfying and like that being the focus. I thought that was a very interesting way to think about it. And like very clear to be like, oh, okay. Because you don't eat pizza. I don't be this, this, and that or something. I yeah, I feel like something that like we talked about a lot is like when we're thinking about pleasure and how looking around. I had to the cat out. When we're thinking about pleasure and how it relates to sex, I feel like pleasure and an orgasm so frequently during sex. And so when we're thinking about just like pleasure being something that feels good or something that we enjoy, and this idea of like non like goal oriented sex, like separating pleasure from an orgasm and just pleasure being like enjoyment of the sexual practice that you're engaging in like whatever it might be and so yeah I think that's really important because I to transition us into our our next part of our conversation like when we're thinking about pleasure in Judaism specifically there is a, actually like a lot in a lot of different Jewish texts about the importance of like pleasure and satisfaction during sex but it's like a bit unclear as to whether or not they mean that pleasure during sex and it's very heteronormative but it's unclear if pleasure during sex within Judaism and like within a marriage again it's very heteronormative and sort of traditional but if pleasure is meaning that like the wife or the woman has an orgasm or is that that like she generally is enjoying herself and like yeah I don't know there are a lot of different commentaries on which one of those things it is. Jesse, do you want to start with some general background on sex and Judaism? I was kind of looking at into more, which I know we have later, and I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead, about queer sex and Judaism, which is also some of, some of the, as we've talked about before, some of the most quotable parts of the Bible are often misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. And although there is a pretty explicit prohibition against queer sex it's it's not very specific for example nothing in the torah about lesbian sex or sex between people with vulvas because patriarchy but also so it's not explicitly <laughs> said you, that you can't do it and then also the idea of like sex non-goal-oriented sex like I just thought of this like one of the reasonings behind like sex with penises in a homosexual relationship is that spilling the seed or wasting the seed is considered a sin but if it's not goal-oriented with an orgasm or with you know like coming then what is the the mm -hmm. sin of homosexual anyway I was thinking about that but kind of so yeah there's that kind of background which is when literally interpreted, interpreted as a kind of anti-gay or an anti, or, or very sexual, sexually conservative, I will just say, kind of interpretation of sex in the Bible. But what we do have when we get into like Talmud and Midrash, and specifically the rabbinic period, is we have more of an exploration of what is a mitzvah and what is a good deed within Judaism. That's a mitzvah literally translates to a commandment, something we're commanded to do, and so we get commandments of all sorts of kinds during the rabbinic period which include pleasure finding pleasure in your life whether it is recognizing the beauty of nature going outside and enjoying yourself or having sexual pleasure so there's like a wide range that becomes really important during the rabbinic period and since then 
there's been many ways to interpret pleasure, which is what you were talking about, Alana, with this ona or the mitzvot ona, which is pleasuring your wife in the most heterosexual sense. And yeah, I think I also wanted to really quickly just point to the book of Ruth because I love the story of Ruth and Naomi as an example of like finding joy and compassion and pleasure. And it's like subtly undertoned that maybe it was also a lesbian relationship, but I think that's also like a another nod to the Torah being like, this brings me pleasure. We're not going to say which kind, you know, you figure it out. <laughs> like there's, there's these kind of highly interpretable moments that we should expand upon when we're talking about Judaism, not in the very narrow conservative sense. Very, and they were roommates kind of vibe. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, Kaylin, can you make a meme of that? Ruth and Naomi. And oh yeah, 100%. Okay. I'm on That's it. That's an aside, but that is really good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. So I feel like I, shockingly, focused more on, like, the heteronormative side of things. Yeah, a little role, role reversal there. I was, like, looking very specific. Cause, like, I wanted to really under understand, like, what the texts actually say that sort of indicate that sex is talked about differently within Judaism, because that's mentioned a lot, and there's a lot of, like, mainstream commentary about how like Judaism is more sex positive and so I'm just going to give the caveat now that everything that I'm about to say is in the context of like heteronormative relationships and like traditional heterosexual relationships so like marriages so this is all about a man and a woman getting married and what happens after so again like you're married you're not having I mean I guess I don't know if they talk about sex before marriage. That's not really discussed as much, but they use the word marriage a lot. So, like, one of the first commandments and, like, the first part of the Torah, Genesis, like, the first mitzvah that they give, again, mitzvah is commandment, is, like, this commandment to procreate. But the way that the rabbis have always understood this is that this commandment is only binding on men and women are exempt from this commandment because they might be put in physical danger by childbirth, which is actually really interesting and probably something more for our session on abortion. But just this idea that like this commandment of procreation was actually only um, placed on men. And I feel like that's something in society writ large like men often have the least responsibility for like birth and pregnancy and procreation so that was really fascinating and then Jesse sort of touched on this earlier but this commandment of ona is this commandment that basically like obligates that a man provides quote pleasurable sexual intercourse to his wife on a regular basis if she desires it even if they already have had children or are incapable of having children, which is also like kind of a big deal. So again, it's not like you need to do this to procreate. It's like, A, it has to be pleasurable and like regular and like the caveat of if she desires it. So moving us away from like men just getting off and it not just being for the purpose of childbearing because it's not like, even if they already have children, even if they can't have children. And I thought that was really fascinating because I don't, I don't, I don't know what the Bible says, so I can't speak to that. But just to have that laid out in religious text and interpreted as such by rabbis is, I don't know, pretty 
feels pretty radical for the straights at least for sure and there's another element that talks about how if the husband refuses to perform his marital obligation like what we just talked about ona in the loving romantic sexually pleasing way the wife actually has a right to demand a divorce and receive her ketuba settlement or which is just like money from the marriage which again is also pretty nuts because like typically like men are the ones historically especially within the olden days who could ask for divorces or initiate divorces and so the fact that women were able to demand a divorce if their husband was not like providing them with pleasure during sex is like pretty i don't know that's pretty wild i mean even now i feel like if you like people would have a lot of things to say if that was someone's reasoning for divorce. So for that to be like written or implied in ancient Jewish texts is pretty radical. And I just wanted to end on the fact that another thing that really stood out to me was they were talking about any sexual union without the abundance of passion, love and will is without the divine presence. And I just thought that was really beautiful. Like the idea that like A, the divine, the divine presence whatever you think that may be god the universe some whatever it is for you like exists when we're engaging in like pleasurable acts with each other and when we're engaging in pleasure like it is this presence of the divine and on top of that like it should be part of our sex lives and that means that like sex should be passionate and loving and like pleasurable whatever that may mean there's never a mention of a goal there an orgasm but just like that it should be full of those things so i don't know i thought that that was pretty beautiful and i feel like that can end our judaism and pleasure well, spiel unless mad and Kate want to have that i had a oh you go mad you go mad i was gonna say at least from a catholic perspective i always thought that was really radical i definitely and I didn't read the Bible back front, but I don't think that, and I remember I took a human sexuality class, and that was something that was like, unique aspect to religion that not a lot of religions are part of, like, they're to write in pleasure, like, the pleasure of their wife and things like that. I guess my question would be, do you feel that people live out those, the, the, like what was written in do you think it comes into practice relationships in modern day too I, I mean everyone else feel free to answer this I'm gonna say no and I just think that's because it's gonna be a hot take I think that people like to claim to be religious when it benefits them and then not actually take the time to read what the religious texts that they're so passionate about are saying. And so this definitely isn't one of those things that people are like pulling from the Torah and being like, I am a religious and observant Jew because I focus on pleasure during sex because that is like taboo within our Western society. Um, do I think it's cool and am I gonna ground that in like Jewish practice? Definitely. But I don't think that like mainstream like Jewish Americans or like Jews in general, especially like more observant Jews are like holding this near and dear. It's actually, this is sort of an aside and Jesse and Kaylin and Matt, I'm curious what you have to say about this. But I remember growing up, I heard a lot about how like 
more religious sects of Judaism had sex through a cloth and weren't really allowed to touch each other. Kaylin and Jesse and I grew up very close to an ultra-Orthodox community. And that's what like all the kids in school would talk about when they were talking about the community we lived near. And so to like then years later actually read what the Torah says about sex and pleasure and have it be so different from that. I'm just curious like where y'all think that came from or like what what that even was about if that's grounded in if that was grounded in something actual or if that was just like anti-semitism i think it it is a myth yeah Uh, yeah sorry my cat is scratching um (laughs) but basically i actually came across that doing like looking into this and when we get like later on into like further discussion stuff but part of me wonders too if it's like this idea of oh you're already so observant and like covering up so much and you're supposed to cover everything they're so like conservative that even during sex they can't be naked um Mm -hmm. but yeah I feel like it's very interesting to still see that and now it's funny because when I came across it I never it like brought that memory back oh this is what was said growing up yeah and the last time I had seen it, I think it was in relation to, like, Catholic people, or it was, no, it was in The Handmaid's Tale. Sorry. Uh, yes, classic. But I was like, oh my god, I completely forgot I associated this with growing up and hearing it about living near an ultra-Orthodox community. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty good transition, unless we want to stick with the Judaism specific, but, like, moving to, like, religion and sex in general, like, I think that's a really good example of just how, like, the like the more religious people are the more like sexually I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like negative I guess repressed yeah yeah repressed repressed like society assumes people to be and like assumes of the sex lives of more religious folks and I think like we see that in shows like The Handmaid's Tale where I guess I never say it's Christianity but like religion has such like a heavy hand and just in general it's so repressed so but we don't actually know what's going on in people's sex lives, I guess. Yeah, I think for me, what's interesting about that too is I think religion, I mean like in, especially now that we're talking about like pleasure in Judaism, like it could be a means of enhancing your sexual relationship with your partner. By no means repressive to me, it's like you were saying, maybe more patriarchy rather than it's power yeah i agree with what you're saying mad with the like this idea that somehow they're inextricably linked that like when people got more religious therefore there was this like father figure that you weren't supposed to piss off by having sex with people and i think it way more stems from like our american like puritanical values that like we're taught in schools and we're taught all throughout society that then informs the institutions like Mm-hmm. Not to bring us back a little bit, but like the Orthodox movement used to be like radical. Like they were like transforming. I mean, they're talking about the universe expanding and then shrinking and the shards of it exploding all over the earth. It's like incredible stuff. But because of like the the way it got sanitized and packaged into like this European mindset and then also, you know, coming to America's, it it conformed to fit this social expectation of what like morals and ethics were supposed to be teaching children, which is very like 
eugenics based, very puritanical in the sense of what schools were designed to do. So not to get us into schools, because that's not where I'm trying to go. But the idea that, yeah, like, I agree, I don't think religion inherently makes you repressed. I think it, it has functioned in that way to reinforce the same values that like school is trying to reinforce. There's a really good book that I read for my capstone, and it's called Love the Sin. There's a subtext, like semicolon something, something, but it's by Anne Pellegrino. No, it's, yeah, and Janet R. Jacobson. And it talks about how, like, Christianity is so intertwined with how we view, and, like, those morals are, like, how we do view, like, sex as a culture and, like, why mm -hmm. we think of it as so sinful and, like, why we're so ashamed of it and can't talk about it. And it's really interesting how it's, like, we just pretend, though, that it's, like, not, but it's also, like, how we pretend nation and state are separated, but, I mean, church and state, that's the thing. But, yeah, it's a really interesting take on it. So, awesome. I'm to read that. I just want to, like, note, again, as, like, a caveat, I feel like there's so much that we could talk about when it comes to these topics, so, like, we're really narrowing our scope in a bit and just touching on some specific things, but like would love to hear anyone's thoughts on the many, many topics that we do not have the time to touch on. Or I don't know, maybe we'll do another session at some point in the future on similar topics. Yeah, religion. And I found a lot of really cool stuff on this about kinks, if we can go into that. So actually, Alana, don't make fun of me, but there was a BuzzFeed interview. Well, that's with the BuzzFeed. <laughs> I don't do it anymore, but... It was I'm not looking, here to yuck your yum. <laughs> I was looking at dominatrixes dominate, and their clients who are Hasidim in Brooklyn oh, specifically. Ooh. And there were a couple big takeaways from that point. And I looked at a couple other things with this. One big thing I learned from this was there's this brand of genre of erotica called From Erotica, which is Orthodox erotica. And it is... Good. It basically creates these erotic stories and literature that is still considered like kosher. Like it still is in the confines of, yeah, what is kosher? But in this article, it interviewed some of the clients and some of the dominatrices and some of them were reform who were the dominate, like the dominatrix was a reform Jew. And basically just looking a lot at how there's this thing, idea that a lot of the times clients will bring religious um, items or ideas to the forefront of their sessions and they'll do things like wrapping to fill in in that which are like prayer boxes or like one of the dominatrix she made like her client cook bacon for her and so basically taking these things that are seen either as like sacrilegious or just religious items and allowing the person or the client to like take power over this and kind of use this is either a reclamation, which we've seen, and there's all these ideas to BDSM as like a reclamation for trauma or for power or whatever, but like a reclamation of your relationship with your religion. And Very basically, cool. she they talked a lot about it in Christianity and Catholic clients too. And basically, there was a really interesting part of the article or interview when I was talking about, oh, I see a lot of links between being a sex worker and being a Hasidim in like we're both ostracized and part mm -hmm. of ostracized communities which was really interesting to see that throughout the article and talking about how it allowed her to kind of like understand where her clients were coming from with it and looking at like potential links 
between how Judaism shows up in kinks, like blindfolding and closing your eyes for prayer uh, mm. was one of the instances. So it was super interesting to stumble upon this huge interview and then this large amount of erotica. That yeah, I just did a quick Google search when you said that and I was like, what is happening? There's a lot this out is, there. Yeah. It's wild. It is. I was like, whoa. Also what you said about like, kinks and their connection to Judaism when he talked about blindfolding I'm thinking about like rapping to fill in and I've seen this before talked about like rapping to fill in but thinking about how that connects to binding or using rope or using leather to bind yourself and like the connection to like to fill in which is used for like prayer which is also a really interesting connection yeah or like even queering I'm imagining if you're not just a cis man using to fill in like using that Mm -hmm. as a way to queer Judaism too it feels like a really cool yeah, that's, I like that you talked about, like, the idea of recognition, because I think, like, when I think about religious or acting out your religious kinks, I think about it, you, like, getting on the kind of, I think for me, and being in, like, growing up in a Catholic school and stuff like that, like, certain things that turn me on definitely are related to, like, that, so I never thought about it, how that could be positive and, like, reclaiming those things. Yeah, they love a reclamation. I know we wanted to talk about abstinence and like celibacy and how that is related to religion and then also pleasure. Do you want to kick us off with that, Mad? Yeah, I thought it would be cool to talk about because I think that it was really beneficial to me in certain parts of my life was like, like I didn't feel like partner sex me or like I was trying to like heal trauma and things like that. And I think that I gained so much from those without to have partners and yeah so that's kind of why I want to talk about it and then there's just so many you can bring in during abs or during that that I could also list yeah I just think that celibacy is time to like become more aware feel safe and secure and things like that. yeah thanks man I just want to highlight I think you might be breaking up a little bit if you want to switch off of your me? Why? Yeah, I noticed it earlier, but I was like, maybe it's just me. I won't say anything. But then I was like, I want everyone to hear what you're saying. And now it's so late. We're just troubleshooting. Oh, so maybe. Is it still breaking up? Oh, not really. Oh, yeah. Not really. Oh, let's still breaking up for you, Alana. Say something again, Matt. Yeah. Is it? Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep a, keep a, I think it might be better. Sorry, that was an aside. We can troubleshoot that. I hope it's okay. better. My Wi-Fi is off, but maybe, I don't know. Oh, okay. Now there's just a lag, but I can hear your voice a lot clearer. Okay. And I would. I'm wondering if I should also put an air pause or something. Oh, your voice is so much clearer now. It's 10 times better. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys hear what I said or? Yeah, I got I got what you said. I just wanted to make sure it was clear as possible moving forward. Thinking about what you said, I just, I want to highlight for like folks, like what really stands out to me about that. It's just, I feel like abstinence and celibacy are so often talked about in terms of like really religious concepts or like negative things or that, you know, you have to be abstinent or you have to be celibate, like, in a religious context before marriage or because sex is a sin or like lack of sex education leading to like abstinence only like birth 
preventative pregnancy prevention like methods but like thinking about abstinence and celibacy as like pleasurable and like spaces where like we might not be having partnered sex but can be experiencing joy I think is like a really radical standpoint and in like Mm -hmm. connection to when we're talking about reclamation I think can be a reclamation of some of those like potentially harmful like religious commandments or like models yeah and I think to that too like when you're engaging in celibacy like you're very much focusing on what feels good to you I think it's a lot less of responding to what feels good to other people so like it's an a moment to be very authentic and intentional and become re-aware of like things that are lost when you engage in like I don't know partner sex that's not healthy yeah yeah it's something that came up like when we were having conversations around this in the first place was just that uh, this idea that like sex sex positivity is about making sexual decisions that feel good for yourself so that doesn't have to mean that you're having sex it doesn't have to mean oh everyone should be having sex and it's awesome even if you're like engaging in abstinence or celibacy like like you you don't even have to be having sex with yourself or like masturbating but just like making sexual decisions that feel good and like working through sexual trauma that you might hold or like engaging in you know your own connection to yourself to enhance like future sexual experiences and make them more pleasurable and yeah I don't know I thought that was really really radical and really cool and I definitely credit credit you Mad for making me aware of a lot of that yeah I appreciate that and I also to that point of not even having to like masturbate or do anything like a lot of the things that I did during that time had nothing to do with like sex mindfulness body scans are a big one pelvic floor exercises are a big one Kaylin I love some pelvic floor therapy. I'm all for the pelvic floor (laughs) therapy. More people need to do it. Mm -hmm. I agree. And yoni steams are one. I don't know. I've never done one. I know that they're like really healing and things like that. But I've also heard that maybe you shouldn't do them unless something is like not wrong. But if there's some sort of like, I don't know if you have a yeast infection or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so those are like big ones that I think are really great and the Afrosexology solo sex workbook had just like tons of like journaling exercises that were just help me understand my sexual shame or like my sexual routines that like were serving someone else and I think that yeah it just kind of made me more confident in myself I think that too before well when I did when we started doing this like me and Kaylin the fucking the fine print it was because like I did I felt like I didn't, what's the word? I felt like not good about myself sexually and things like that. And I think that those were opportunities to be like, so much of what's going on in my head is like not a reality. Um, And yeah, breaking those, yeah, unhealthy routines. Yeah, I think that's important for people who like, want to focus on pleasure during sex and move away from these ideas that like successful sex or like goal-oriented sex yeah i'm gonna talk about and that has to mean like having an orgasm during sex and like like the diff like the fact that sex can be valid even if it's not partnered and like just the ways that we talk about sex and just yeah taking that time for yourself to really reframe those narratives so that sex that you have in the future if you choose to like 
is actually centered around pleasure and is something that makes you like feel good and hopefully take some shame away from it. Yeah. Did you want to talk about non-goal oriented sex and close ourselves out a little bit? I feel like we have been touching on non-goal oriented sex this whole time, but I had a definition too for it if we wanted to read that. So non-goal non-goal oriented sex is sex where we're not equating an orgasm with the end all be all of a successful positive experience. So it very much makes sex about the process more than the end result. And me and Caitlin talk about this all the time. I think it it's just about the experience. It helps you enjoy the experience without thinking about, am I going to come or am I going to make them come? It's just not, it's not helpful. I think that it is really distracting and doesn't, it didn't lead me to good sex. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I had exercises, but if, if other people want to comment on non-goaring sex too. I just think like it's such a deviation from the way that we think about sex like as a society. I don't know, something that I definitely need to work on unpacking within myself is like I'm someone who like I feel like I'm fairly sex positive, like sex friendly and like I'm all for like people making sexual decisions that feel good for themselves and like I think I can sit and be like it's totally fine if someone doesn't orgasm during sex that's not the point but like in my actual practice I definitely have felt myself like feel differently about that and be like you know if I'm like having sex with my partner and I can't orgasm or like like they don't orgasm like feeling like that's a failing or like I did something wrong and having to be honest with myself about moving outside of that mindset and if that's hard for me and like us as people who are really entrenched in this work and thinking about this a lot yeah i just want to acknowledge like that's it's like easy for us to say we should be pursuing non-goal-oriented sex but it's like something that we really have to practice all the time and we're constantly like engaging with how it actually makes us feel yeah i i definitely think that it's it's so hard to put into practice rather than have a concept of it in your head because Mm -hmm. like i don't know i mean i do it all the time even still and it's, it's definitely like a constant effort to remember that that's not what is important I know Matt and Kaylin you guys talk about this all the time with like pop culture but the Mm -hmm. representation of non-goal oriented sex is Mm -hmm. like none for me personally in my life I have never seen a positive interpretation on television or movies of someone not coming during sex and it being okay it's always yeah. mad or Never thought what you yeah. wrong, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it. of course we would think it's failure when all we've seen is like, if you don't do what the other person wants and make them happy, you did a bad mm-hmm. job and therefore you'll be ridiculed in like a comedy special or like on a TV show and that's what you get. I mean, I've even run into, as someone who it's very hard to orgasm, either solo or with partner sex, like, I straight up just at the beginning of before sex occurs, I've had conversations where it's just, look, I don't orgasm easily. It's, I will let you know if I'm having a good time or not. It doesn't mean I'm not enjoying it. And even still, it's like, that's a hard thing for like both myself still who just said that and like the partner or like to be like, okay with, cause we're just like taught so yeah. much that like sex is so, it's only, it's either good or bad. Like you pass it, like you pass it, you fail. <laughs> 
And I think too, like, that's why we started the thing because like, I, I never understood why the sex that I was having didn't feel like the sex that was on TV. Like it felt like even at 22, I was like, is there something wrong with me? Like, it was just, it was just so weird to me that like, I didn't know, like, I didn't ever see a realistic depiction of sex or I didn't feel like I hear about it. Like, I felt like it was always about orgasming or like the craziest experiences and things like that. And it just makes you feel like failing all the time. Yeah. To that, I think that the great thing that I've tried to take out of non-goal-oriented sex is it's not a concept. There's things that we can do to like help to reinforce it, beginning with with a partner to try and stop making noises that you wouldn't make naturally. I saw on like this one show on Netflix, Boob. Also, can you guys hear me now? Does it sound good? Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. Okay. And apparently, like the the moaning noise that we hear in like porn, like the breathing heavy, like that actually like is putting your body in like fight or flight. Mm -hmm. What's important is taking deep breaths rather than those short, like tight ones. That's actually not relaxing you at all. So (laughs) that's a big one. The next one is breathing or sinking breathing with your partner, eye gazing or body gazing, focusing on a certain area on your, on your or your partner's body like their collarbones or hands that look particularly sexy and trying to cut out penetrative sex and prioritize things that are considered foreplay and exercises for casual sex, which I think are really important because we can have non-goal-oriented sex in casual sexual relationships as well. And I think that this one's really good for getting to know any sexual partner and it's to lay next to someone and have them go through and fill your body and then you do the same. And explore your senses and close your eyes, deep breathe, taking note of the things that feel good, and then discussing after. So a lot of them are kind of just, well, that one's just for the partner sex, but a lot of those are very much like focusing yourself, like bringing yourself into the room, like being in your body kind of, which I also think is a whole other thing if you're also dealing with sexual trauma and things like that, and you are like disassociating, which is things that I used to do as like a safety mechanism but like kind of bringing yourself back to center and like getting out of your head is kind of just a big part of it on your own I think it's really important to plug sex therapy it can definitely help people who are struggling to go of negative or distracting thoughts during sex also body engaging and it's just like movement meditation it's called like kundalini meditation I think that it helps me always feel more comfortable in my body and then practice moving it in ways that I enjoy. One that me and Kaylin talk about a lot is also like accessorizing your sex life, buying some nice lingerie or like sex toys or like satin sheets, like really doing it big for yourself. So those are, those are some actionable things to try and help to reaffirm. Yeah. Non-goal-earned sex. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I think that's really helpful. And we're going to post this for for folks later so you don't have to like remember this all or have some beautiful little graphics from mad talking about all these activities and some of our takeaways i think like final thing that i was thinking about while you were talking is just that so much of like goal-oriented sex is really like heteronormative in a lot of ways and i feel like even though i still find myself caught up in goal-oriented sex outside of like penetrative or heteronormative sex like 
it did allow me to reframe so much of my thinking and even the way that like I think one of the suggestions was like engage in activities that would be considered for yeah I heard and I was like (laughs) yeah I saw I saw you I saw you catch it like as soon as you said it and I was just like just like thinking about the way that we like define things and like even catching myself or other people be like oh but did you have sex and being like what does that mean like you know, like, what do you mean when you say, but did you have sex with this person? And it's always about, well, did you have penetrative sex with this person? And I feel like I really had to break that down for myself when I really started engaging in, like, non-straight sexual relationships. And so it's interesting to apply, like, a queer lens to moving away from goal-oriented sex or even, like, heteronormative definitions of sex and pleasure. Mm-hmm. I want to also just add really quickly a lens of internalized fat phobia as well. Like having sex as a larger bodied person and just thinking about all the things that come with it. That could be its own whole section about this. But yeah, just just thinking like mindfulness of our bodies and the way our partners or even our like not partner in a romantic sense, but just like sexual partners are feeling about their bodies in the moment might have something to do with sexual trauma and it might just have something to do with navigating the world as a bigger bodied person as well. Sorry, rushing at the end. My favorite like thing I've ever been told about non-goal oriented sex, it was for solo exploration. It was, someone was like, just set a timer for however long you want, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, and just explore, see what feels good. Don't have an end result. If you orgasm, great. If not, but once that timer's over, like, stop you could just sit there and think you don't or you could touch yourself and it was just like the specific like setting time for yourself of just like figuring it out and being like oh there's i'm just setting aside some time it's fine that was very liberatory for me as someone that was like so stressed all the time about forcing myself to try an orgasm or try and have goal like a goal in sex yeah yeah well thanks everyone who joined us for first session of getting cheeky with god of course there's like we said there's so much that like we could have touched on within this topic that we just simply do not have the time for but would love to hear y'all's thoughts and we're going to share some takeaways and activities after this mm-hmm. session like tomorrow I think, yeah. or later this week bye bye, bye. Thank you.